Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Unspeakable Love Sermon Series, which is based out of the book of Hosea. It is our hope that this series would help you in your walk with God. Please let us know how God has impacted you through these messages. Hosea chapter number two tonight. And uh, we're continuing our series, Unspeakable Love. And I absolutely, um, I'm loving the study. I'm loving the time I get to spend just reading and studying this book out. And uh, the book of Hosea, of course, written by the prophet Hosea. And I'll give you very quickly just kind of a synopsis of the book. Um, We've already covered much of this, but it would be written during a time when uh, Israel was at a stage of uh, of prosperity. And uh, it had been, Israel had already been divided into two kingdoms. Kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And what had happened is, uh, as was uh, really Israel's history, Psalm 78 records it very well, that Israel would love God, they would follow God, and then they would turn to idolatry, they would fall away from God, God would send a prophet to try to get their attention. If that did not get their attention, then God would send judgment to get their attention, and that judgment would turn them back to God, so they would get right, they would follow God again, they would, follow, uh, they would fall for a idolatry, and then they would follow after that, and that was just really cyclical with them, it was just their cycle, just round and around they went, loved God, didn't love God, loved God, uh, fell away from God, loved God, walked away from God. And that was really the, the pattern of Israel. <clears throat> and it had come to a point, excuse me, had come to a point that as they were kind of fleeing from God, spiritually speaking, that God was going to great lengths to try to get their attention. God was doing a number of things to try to help them understand and see his love for them. And so God, with some prophets, he would, he would give what we call action messages. He would try to use the life of a prophet, not just the message, but the life of the prophet. He would try to use that to draw the people back to him. Um, we talked about Ezekiel, how God used his life. We talked about Jeremiah, how God used his life as an action message to reach his people. And Hosea is another one that God, he's going to go to drastic measures to try to get the attention of his people. That was actually our first message. It was, uh, the title is, um, um, I forget the title now, but what do I have to do to get your attention? Can I have your attention? That was the title. Can I please have your attention? And we have to understand that there are times when uh, people who are so-called Christians, they say they love God, they say they follow God, and yet it takes God something drastic to do, it takes God doing something drastic in their life for them to recognize their need for him. And that's where Israel was. At this time specifically in the nation of Israel, um, they were at a point where they honestly had convinced themselves that they didn't need Jehovah God. They had actually become um, so, um, uh, uh, what's the word, the callous? They'd become so callous towards God that they'd wanted nothing to do with the prophets. You would have prophets preaching around this time like Amos, and they wanted nothing to do with Amos. You had people getting up and declaring, thus saith the Lord, like Elijah and Elisha right before this, and the people wanted nothing to do with it. So God had kind of hit a point with the children of Israel, and he kind of was saying, I'm fed up with this. 
I've tried to, I've tried to reason with you. I've tried to give you good messages and prophets to come across your path, and that's not getting your attention. So now I'm gonna use someone's life, and I'm gonna use a prophet, and I'm gonna give you a message through this prophet, and hopefully that will get your attention. What we've discovered was part of the message that the Lord was trying to get through Hosea. If you were to go to Hosea chapter number one, we find that it's a time, and we're not gonna read it all for time's sake. I'll just give you a brief thought. <clears throat> that chapter one, as you come to it, it would be a time of what we know as um, spiritual uh, deadness, spiritual ignorance, children of Israel pushing God away. But there was, there it was and there always is what's called a remnant a remnant of people that although the nation of Israel as a whole was straying from God, there would be people along the way that would say, no, that's not me. I think of like Daniel. Man, Daniel, during the captivity of Hezekiah, Hezekiah comes in and takes, um, or Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and takes Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, takes them prisoner. Remember the story? And the Bible says that Daniel had purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. And it uh, just goes to show that even during a tumultuous time, there was still people standing up for truth. And I think about Samuel. I just started the book of Samuel, my time with the Lord this morning, uh, read, read 1 Samuel one through four. And I was just reminded again that at a time, Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were just rebellious against God. And Eli, he wanted to be a man of God. I believe that with all my heart that Eli wanted that, but he never took the, the faith steps to do it. And yet you had Samuel that came on the page and you had his mom, Hannah, who feared God and loved God. And this was the time during the time of the judges when there wasn't, uh, there was no, the Bible says that there was no open vision or the word of God was scarce in those days. And yet you have somebody who in the midst of what we saw this morning of a Christless culture or of a carnal culture, you have somebody who's still standing for truth, who's still saying, no, I'm gonna follow God. Can I just give you a side note real quick? I think God is still looking for those types of somebodies. Man, people are gonna stand up and say, no, 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 no. We're not gonna do that. I'm not going that direction. I was talking today over lunch uh, with some folks from our church, and we're talking about the, uh, the abortion things going on in our nation. And what an atrocity for our country. And we talked about this on Thursday night and prayed for it. And I'm, I'm gonna unashamedly say these things, but uh, man, what took place in New York this last week, voting for that nine-month abortion, uh, what, an abs absolute, uh, what an absolute slap in the face to our God. You know what? We need some Christians that are gonna say no. No, we, this, is not, this is not going to be what defines us. No, I'm not going to just cave in. No, no, God did create life, and it's created at conception, and we're going to stand for life. And there needs to be Christians that, can I say it? Uh, this has nothing to do with the message. This is all free. Um, that vote that way. That's right. There's Christians, and this is, man, this really has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with the message. Now I'm just, now I'm just chasing rabbits. That's okay. I'm going to chase for a minute. There's some Christians that say, well, you know, I'm just not going to vote. What are you doing? Well, it's just, it's, you know, it's just one vote. Let's add up a million ones. What do you get? You get a million. Man, every Christian needs to, needs to be a part of standing for biblical truth and saying, no, 
I'm gonna stand on what this book says and I'm gonna stand up for the word of God. I'm gonna stand up for life. I'm gonna stand up for right marriage. I'm gonna stand up. And we could go on and on and on on some things and politically, listen to political message. We could just need to understand that there needs to be some Christians in every age that say, no, I'm gonna stand. When you come to the book of Hosea, now we'll get back to the message. When you come to the book of Hosea, Hosea was one such man. Hosea was saying, no, I, I know our culture's going this way, but I am gonna stand. And then verse two of Hosea chapter number one, it tells us the beginning of the word of the Lord. So God speaks to Hosea, and we talked about this three weeks ago. You can almost imagine Hosea there wondering, God, when are you gonna speak to us? I know our people are running from you, but God, there's no open vision, there's no open word. God, we just wanna hear from you. And the voice says, Hosea, <gasps> Man, I sense some excitement in him. Yes, 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 God, I'm here, like, like Samuel. Here am I, Lord, speak. But the next part, Hosea was not expecting. <laughs> because the next part, God said, Hosea, I've got a mission for you. I've got a task for you. I want you to go marry a harlot. I want you to go marry a woman of whoredoms. I want you to go marry a prostitute. I can imagine Hosea. Must got some chlorine from my swimming earlier and stuck in my ear, you know, some water. I'm sorry. God, what did you say? I want you to go take you a wife of whoredoms. Marry a prostitute, not one that's just been a prostitute once in a while, but whoredoms, the, the, uh, the S on the end of it means one who has given over to the life of a prostitute. I want you to do this, and the end of verse number two says why. Because my children, my people, because Israel has departed, the home, the land has departed from me and committed great whoredoms. Hosea, I'm gonna use your life as an action message to show my people, number one, my love for them, number two, my forgiveness of them, but number three, their idolatry toward me. Hosea, you need to see that I'm gonna use your life to get a hold of the people of my country. Go marry this woman. Man, that's just two verses in. That's two verses into the book. I don't know about you, but I would, if I was Hosea, did I eat something wrong last night? Man, I know pizza's bad for me, but good night. And yet, we read verse number three of Hosea chapter one. It says, so Hosea went, and he took Gomer, a wife of whoredoms. Well, we read last week that after Hosea went and took this wife, that they had a child. <clears throat> the first child they had, really only child they had, uh, the name was Jezreel. And uh, um, Jezreel, the uh, definition of it, um, uh, may God destroy and God would use Jezreel and that child as a picture of destruction, saying, hey, Hosea, give my people a message of destruction. Help them understand that because they've sinned, because they've gone against me, I literally, I want to destroy them because of the idolatry they've committed. That was the name of the first child. The second child, Lo-Ruhamah, Lo-Ruhamah. Um, the definition of it was unpitied 
or um, one that never knew a father's love. And when you go and you do the research, you'll find that Lo Ruhama wasn't actually Hosea's child. Gomer had gone out and prostituted herself and been with another man. And because of that, now she's expecting a child of another man. It was not even belonging to Hosea. And through that, we find God saying to the children of Israel, not only am I giving you a message of destruction, but I'm giving you a message of rejection. I reject you. I, I, you're, you don't even know. You don't even know a father's love. I have no pity for you because you aren't mine. And this was God speaking to Israel saying, hey, you're acting like you don't even belong to me. I am Jehovah God, and yet you're committing uh, adultery, spiritually speaking, by committing idolatry. You're doing that to the very God that created you. God's message was a message of destruction, a message of rejection. Then you have the third child who also was not a child of Hosea. The name was Lo-Ami or Lo-Ami. And the name Lo-Ami... Uh, give me a second. I got it in my notes. I could just look. <laughs> the name Lo-Ami, um, oh, there, not belonging to me. Not belonging to me or not mine. You don't belong to me. And that's a message not only of rejection like we see with Lo-Ruhama, but a message of isolation. Saying, hey, I don't even claim you. I want nothing to do with you. I'm going to not only reject you, but I'm going to isolate you from me. I, I literally am going to remove you from my presence. Man, if you look at this, uh, what a message. I mean, this is from God to his people. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to reject you. And then I'm going to isolate you. You think God was fed up with sin? I think so. You think God was fed up with idolatry? I think so. But like every prophet, God's message is never just negative. Because then you come to Hosea chapter two and verse number one, and you find the names of the children changed. Instead of Lo Ruhama, it is now Ruhama. Instead of Lo Ami, it is now Ami. Through this, God is simply saying, my message is also a message of redemption. It's a message of redemption. Even though you deserve all of this, there will come a day that I claim Israel as mine. And of course, we can see the connection to the life of a believer through all of this because there are times, and we need to see this, there are times when we walk away from God, times when we choose to follow after false gods or to commit idolatry. Say, Pastor, I've never built me a little idol and a little shrine in my house. I've never done that. So I'm not involved in idolatry, but idolatry is anytime we put anything before God. It could be a job. It could be a family member. It could be a marriage. It could be a, a, a coworker. It, it could be a friendship. It could be a hobby. It could be a sport. It could be a, an instrument, whatever it might be that you put before God. Anytime you and I put anything before God, we're committing idolatry. And we have to know that God gets fed up with it. But even though God gets fed up with it, he's a God of grace and says, but if you'll turn to me, I'll forgive you and we'll move forward. And that was the message to Hosea. We're gonna see the message again tonight in Hosea chapter number two, but before we really get into the message, I talked uh, this morning about having something, looking and seeing people create something and thinking, oh, it's never gonna work, and you see that it works. <clears throat> I wanna ask you tonight, have you ever heard a story told by somebody, and you think, that can't possibly be true? 
They're lying straight through their teeth. And you almost want to call them out, a liar, liar, pants on fire. And that's not true at all. And yet you find out it's a true story. I get it. You could probably go around. We could tell stories. But one of the unbelievable stories that I know in our family's life is when my parents first met. It's an unbelievable story. My mom had just gone skiing and she broke her leg. Okay? She'd gone skiing, they were in college, she broke her leg, and she was sitting in the cafeteria or the diner at their school, uh, at, their bi- at their college that they were at. And she was there with her leg all up on the chair, totally broken, in a cast. My dad was a basketball player on the, on the college basketball team, and him and his buddy, they were gonna walk down to the diner and get something to eat. Now, this was back in 19... 19- <clears throat> And so they go, and dad goes into the diner, and uh, the, the girl that my mom was sitting with and the guy that my dad was with, they knew each other. And they just kind of walked over. Oh, hey, how are you? Oh, good, how are you? Oh, Judy, this is Dennis. Dennis, this is Judy. And not much was said. There was, they didn't sit down and have a date or anything. It's just kind of like, oh, nice to meet you. What happened? Broke your leg? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I broke my pinky. I broke my ankle. You know, told, my dad, I'm sure, told a war story from basketball or something like that. And, and, and not, no numbers were exchanged. There was, no, there, there, was, there was nothing, just a small conversation. And here's the unbelievable part. True story. My dad leaves the diner. And he says to his friend, after having literally just met her, he says, hey, that girl, Judy, I'm going to marry her one day. (laughs) And just keeps walking. Okay, the unbelievable part is mom sitting there, Judy, with her leg up on on a table in a cast. And she says to her friend, hey, you know that tall basketball player that was just in here? I'm going to marry him. You say that's not true. True story. They both, they both, and their, their friends are witnesses to that. No, they told me they're going to marry him. Anytime my parents, I'm like, yeah, right. You did, that, that didn't happen. And come to find out, it did. Now, it's a silly true story. It's their fun true story, but it's kind of a silly opening illustration. But you know what? There's some stories that you hear, and you're like, Psh, that could not possibly happen. And until someone validates it, you're not going to believe it. Can I tell you, I believe the same is true when you come to Hosea chapter number two. The story written within Hosea chapter number two is, it's absolutely unbelievable. And you're not gonna believe it, except for that God's validated it. I want you to see the story with me tonight. So stand, if you would, Hosea chapter number two. We're just gonna read the first three verses. We'll preach the whole chapter, but just read the first three verses tonight to understand that this this is an unbelievable story that really happened and that God used, and we're going to see it validated before our eyes tonight. Hosea chapter 2, <coughs> excuse me, in verse number 1, we read this. Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhama, plead with your mother. Plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born and make her as a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. We're not gonna continue reading because there's a lot here tonight. But when you come to Hosea chapter number two, 
I don't know about you, but all of this, it sounds like some pretty strong words. I mean, I read this and think, okay, Jose, what are you saying? Like, there's a lot here. But can I tell you that before us tonight, I believe God is gonna unfold one of the most beautiful pictures of grace, love, mercy, forgiveness, and second chances. Because in this chapter, there is something truly unbelievable. So I want you to see it with me tonight. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's pray, and then we'll get into our message. If you would, just take a moment. And again, with your head bowed and eyes closed, maybe just take a moment and commit the time to the Lord and just ask him to speak to you. You can pray something simple of, God, please speak to me tonight. And then commit to him, Lord, whatever you speak to me about, I'll, I'll respond, I'm listening to you. Lord, again, we thank you for the evening. Thank you for your love. <clears throat> and we pray that you would help us tonight as we get into your word. I pray, Father, that you would fill me with your spirit. Lord, that I would not say anything tonight that would not be pleasing to you. But God, I, I pray that you'd help everything that's said and done to be honoring and glorifying to your name. I do pray that if there's someone here that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, God, I pray that tonight you would help them to see that you have forgiveness for them. Lord, I pray for every believer here tonight. God, I ask that as we go through the message that we would not simply just uh, listen with our ears, but that we would listen with our heart and be challenged by your word. And Lord, I'm thankful for the study and um, just how you've challenged me through the book of Hosea and encouraged me and shown me uh, just once again how loving you are. I pray that you'd help us tonight to see this and that it would stir us uh, to love you more. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. <coughs> Excuse me. As we come to our text tonight, I want us to first start off in Hosea chapter number two by seeing what I've called a pleading spouse, a pleading spouse. As you come to Hosea chapter number two, we come into the life of, Hose a life of Hosea, and it would be a few years after he married Gomer. Uh, so there, there would be some time that had passed, uh, perhaps uh, maybe five or seven years. We, we don't know how many, maybe even 10 or 12 years that have passed since Hosea and Gomer were married. And from the text... It would seem that uh, Hosea and the children that he had uh, been raising, that now it's Hosea raising the children on his own, and Gomer is kind of not in the picture. That's what it would appear from the, from the text. It would appear from verse 1 that Hosea had adopted them, and even though Ruhamah and Ami were not his, that God was telling Hosea, hey, claim them as yours. And then verse number 2 would be a conversation from Hosea to Jezreel, Ruhamah, and Ami. This is the conversation. The conversation, you read it there. We just read, and I'll just read part of it. Verse number two. Hey, kids, go plead with your mother. Go plead with her for plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore, and I have it, let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight. We'll stop there. Hey, kids, I want you to do something for me. I want you to go and talk to your mom and beg her to get right. I want you to go plead with her to get right. Notice verse number four, 
Hosea says this, I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be the children of whoredoms, for their mother hath played the harlot. She hath conceived them, hath, uh, she that conceived them hath done shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers that give me bread and my water and my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink. This is Hosea saying to the kids, hey, listen, you need to go tell your mom that you guys aren't even mine. You don't even belong to me, and yet I'm taking care of you, and I'm meeting your needs, and your mom still continues to just go out and just live in a life of sin. And Hosea is saying, hey, kids, go get your mom and let her know that things don't need to be this way, and there are consequences for this. Through all of this, through the whole story, we see Hosea being faithful to the unfaithful. Hosea loving the unlovable. Hosea giving to one who is unworthy. And now he's pleading, Gomer, come back. Come back. Through these words, we can understand that this is also the voice of God pleading with the children of Israel. He's pleading with them once again, come back. The word plead, um, it's an interesting little word study. The word plead is actually a, a legal term, and it means to present the case against. So it's more than just begging. Hosea is saying, hey, go and present a worthy case against your mom so that she will come to her senses and turn back to me. As I said a second ago, this is a picture, another part of that action message that God is trying to give to Israel some types or uh, um, parallels that we see is Gomer is representative of the nation of Israel. They had turned their back on God. Hosea, representative of God, stable, faithful, always there. Gomer, idolatrous Israel that said, we don't, I don't need God. The children would be pictures of the individuals of Israel. Some, Jezreel, claimed to be gods. Others, Ruhama and Ami, they were children of Israel that had walked away from God. And so here's God pleading with uh, and begging his people to turn from their sin and turn back to God. Now, isn't it interesting that this is still what God does today? You say, how is this what God does today? Well, <clears throat> with God's children, those of you that may know Jesus Christ as your Savior, man, whenever you get your life away from God, you know what God does? He pleads with you, come back. He does that differently than he did back then. He does it now instead of through a prophet that would get up and say, listen, God is saying this. Now God uses just this book, his word, coupled with his spirit that God says to you, hey, listen, don't get into that. We would, we, would, we would use the word conviction. That's what we're seeing right here is, hey, you've gotten off course. Let's, let's straighten things back up. Hey, no, 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 don't say, no, no. Don't say that to your spouse. That's probably not the smart thing. Let's, let's correct course over here. Hey, no, no, we're not gonna go there. Nope, let's course correct. Let's bring you back here. No, and this is the Lord every time. Just like he was doing with Israel saying, hey, listen, repent. I'm pleading with you, come back. That's what God does with us. 
as you and I stray from uh, uh, maybe not the faith in the sense of losing our faith, but we stray from doing the things that we know God would have us do or loving God and, and we allow idolatry to be in our life, that's when God says, hey, listen, no, come back. Come back a little bit. Let's get things back on course. And no, no, don't put that before me. No, don't have that idol. That's just conviction. And that's what God was trying to do. He was trying to convict Israel of saying, hey, you need to repent. You need to get back to me. The Bible says in Hebrews that God does this, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Man, God cares about his children and he cares about us having an abiding relationship with him. And so you can rest assured, listen, that when idolatry sets, sets in in your life, God is going to plead for you to come back. Hosea does this with Gomer. It's a pleading spouse but I want you to see with me as we look at the pleading spouse, we see Gomer that she's in what I've called a pathetic state. She's in a pathetic state. As the kids go and they find their mother, <coughs> halfway through verse number five, down through verse number eight, we find Gomer's response. Verse number five, for she said, middle way through, for she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water and my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink. Therefore, this is Hosea once again, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths and she shall follow after her lovers. Notice this, but she shall not overtake them and she shall seek them and shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then was it better with me than now. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. As the kids go to her, we find her response. Hey, mom, we're begging you to come back. Her response halfway through verse number five, no. No, I'm gonna go to my lover. I'm gonna go and find satisfaction. Listen, I'm gonna go and find fulfillment in the places I think I can find fulfillment. I'm gonna go, look at verse number five again. I will go after my lovers. They give me my bread. They give me my, my water. They provide my wool, my flax, my oil, and my drink. Hey, listen, I'm gonna go to the places that I'm finding satisfaction right now. And she is convinced, Gomer is, she's convinced that she needs to go to her sin in order to find satisfaction and provision. But I want you to see something with me tonight. I want you to notice where her sinful life was taking her. Look at verse number seven again. Here's what it says. She shall follow after her lovers, notice, but she shall not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. This was, uh, again, prophetic of Hosea saying, Gomer, there's gonna come a time that you're not gonna be satisfied with this. Of course, God to Israel. Israel, there's gonna be a time when this idolatry is not gonna give you satisfaction. But here's the lie that we see within this passage. Gomer was lying to herself. She was saying, I'm going to go and find fulfillment from this, 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 and this. Those will fulfill my life. 
And Hosea's going, what are you talking about? You are in a pathetic state because every time you go after this, it leaves you empty. Isn't that just what sin does? Boy, sin leaves you empty. It leaves you empty. You, uh, uh, a believer might think that they uh, find pleasure in sin, and though there is pleasure for a season, that season runs out. And let me just tell you that this is where sin always leads. It always leads to emptiness. It always leads to wanting more. Oh, listen, you may not wake up empty tomorrow. You may not wake up empty next month. You may not wake up empty for five years, but one day you're gonna wake up and go, what is the point of this? What is all of this? And wake up empty. You don't believe me? Just go do some research. Number one, go research the word of God and you'll find the scriptures teaching that it's empty. But number two, just, just go research the world. It won't take long to find some superstar who has all of the money, all of the fame. They would have literally everything the world has to offer, and yet they commit suicide. Or like uh, the, the, um, probably my least favorite team in the NFL is playing this week, the Patriots. If you're a Patriots fan, I will pray for you. <laughs> Tom Brady, their quarterback, after his third Super Bowl that he won, he was on 60 Minutes. I believe it was 60 Minutes. And he was being questioned. And somebody said, Tom, you've, you've reached the pinnacle of success in the NFL. And this is... 10 years ago, 11 years ago, something like this. Tom, you're, you are the top of the top. Everybody knows the name Tom Brady. You just won your third Super Bowl. How's it feel, Tom? And I don't have the direct quote. I have it in my computer. But he said something along these lines. He said, you know, when I won the first Super Bowl, it was pretty exciting. Man, I was blown away with it. When I won the second Super Bowl, boy, that was just a dream come true. After I won the third Super Bowl, the question I had is this, is this all there is to life? You say, Pastor, what is that proving? Emptiness. And empty. You go and you talk to uh, people in, in jail on death row that have committed ultimate crimes, and you'll f discover empty, a life without Jesus that's empty. You go to the mansions in Hollywood. You go to some of the places and go to places uh, that go, go, rub, go rub shoulders with people. My, my wife's cousin is famous and lives down there. Go rub shoulders with some people down there, and you know what you're going to find? Empty. Millionaires, billionaires, empty. Why? That's where sin always leads. Sin always leads to emptiness. It always leads to that feeling of, is, is this all there is? Is this drink all there is? Is this, is this all there is? Is this relationship all there is? Is this all there is? That's where Gomer is. 
That's where she's going to end up. Again, prophetic, she's not there yet right now. As you go to verse number five, six, and seven, she's not there yet. But Hosea is saying, hey, you're going to hit a point where it's empty. The word of God says this in Hebrews, reminding us about Moses, that he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for what? For a season. Again, that season may be days or years, but eventually it's going to get you to emptiness. I want you to notice this pitiful or this pathetic state. It continues. Look at verse eight. Notice what she says or what Hosea says. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Hosea is saying this. Hey, if you go back to verse number five, I won't read it and just follow me. If you go back there, are you still with me tonight? Okay, we go back to verse number five, and she says, I'm going to go after my lovers. They provide my wool, my flax. my They're the ones providing for me. Verse number eight, Hosea says, are you out of your mind? I'm providing for you. You go back and you do, do a bunch of different studies. Many people believe that Hosea perhaps was a wealthy man at this time. And as a wealthy man, he was literally providing uh, the food and things that were necessary to keep the, the scum neighborhoods open. And regardless if that's true or not, we do know that he's saying, hey, regardless of you thinking that you're getting satisfaction and you're getting all of, your, all of those good things that you think are coming from your sin, they're coming just because I'm good. All right, let's see the comparison. What do, we, what do we do as people of God sometimes? Boy, people of God sometimes, they do this. I'm doing pretty good. You know, I know the word of God says don't do this, but I, I've done that, and look, I'm okay. I'm doing all right. And we begin to see the blessings in our life and we begin to think those blessings are of my own doing. Did you know the children of Israel at this time, I, I didn't dig into it. Uh, I mean, I dug into it. I'm not gonna give it on our, on our message, just too much. But at this time, the children of Israel had actually, it's believed they had actually made gods to worship for the bountiful uh, harvest that they had been having. If you go, you're in the, the, the um, third, three generations from Jehu, so you're in the reign of Jeroboam II, and it was a very productive time. And so they're, they're seeing harvest, and they're seeing God, I mean, they're seeing God bless, but they're looking at it, and they're thinking, wow, we need to pray to the God of bountiful blessings, and we need to pray to the God of wonderful water. We, and they're making up all of these gods, that's where you go to the end of verse number eight and saying, hey, the good things that you've been given, you've just been preparing them for Baal. You've just been sacrificing it on the altar of idolatry again. Man, no wonder we would look at this and say it's a pathetic state. Because not only is Gomer over here in sin and enjoying it, but she's completely blind to Hosea providing for her. And that's where we get sometimes away from God, thinking we're okay, 
but completely blind to the truth I preached this morning, that anything good that happens in my life is him. Paul said unto the eternal God, invisible, immortal, the eternal man, unto him be honor and glory forever. Hey, the good in my life, I just wanna point to him. And yet she's lying to herself. Israel lying to herself. You and I, sometimes we can lie to ourselves. One man said it this way, false religion had not been forced upon Israel. No, instead it was with eagerness that Israel had run after the false gods of their surrounding communities. This was nothing new though with Israel. I was reminded of Exodus 32. Go back and research. This is right after the children of Israel came out of Egypt. Notice what it says. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed, remember Moses was up on the mount getting the commandments from God. It says, when people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and and said unto him, up, make us gods which shall go before us for as far as this, for as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. Hey, listen, we don't know what's going on with that guy up there, but make us somebody, something we can worship. It's astounding. And Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off their golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, watch this, and fashioned it with a graven tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. I seriously get speechless. Some of you are like, that's a first. Listen, here's where they were. The children of Israel at this time, same time, same thing they were in Hosea. I mean, they literally had just walked through the Red Sea. Like that was just a few days before this. They saw the fire of pillar or the pillar of fire that was leading them and the pillar of cloud. This that was that had already started. They saw the 10 plagues. I mean, we're not talking 400 years later, we're talking 10 days later. God had miraculously worked, and yet they make a God, and they say, these be the gods that brought thee up out of Egypt. Now, can I tell you something before we condemn them? Sometimes we attribute Godship to other things in our life. That's called idolatry. We begin to think, I've got here because of my work ethic. I've got here because of my good character. I have these blessings because I've learned to save my money. My business is going well because I am such a smart businessman. What are we doing? We're doing the exact same thing they were. We're not recognizing it's God. It's God. I see tonight a pleading spouse, a pathetic state, but then God brings around the, the thought to what I've, what I've called a piercing sword. 
a piercing sword. We won't go and, and read all of this, but <clears throat> you have God and Hosea. Hey, Gomer, hey, Israel, turn back. Because if you don't, God, says I'm gonna, God said he's gonna pull his hand of blessing. Very quickly, just look at verse number nine. Therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof and my wine in the season thereof and will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. And now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers and none shall deliver her out of mine hand. I also will cause her mirth to cease and her feast days, her new moons and her Sabbaths and all her solemn feasts. I will destroy her vines and her figs and whereof she has said, these are my rewards. My lovers have given them to me. And it goes on, all of these simply saying, hey, there's a coming judgment. These verses are very particular about Israel. God saying, one day I'm going to expose the truth and one day I'm going to uh, bring all of these things to light. One day I'm gonna judge the sin of Israel and much of this, and we don't have time, but much of this is prophetic getting into the end times and what we read in the book of Revelation and God using the battle of Armageddon to turn people back to him and the tribulation to turn people back to him. But in these verses, what you read of is, the prophet envisioning uh, natural disasters, the devastation of the land by war, and the destruction of its people. Of course, much of this dealing with tribulation and then what would come after the reign of Jeroboam II. But what I want us just to see tonight is that in these verses, what we're reading, verse 9 down through verse number 13, what you read is the results of sin. Not only does sin lead to emptiness, but sin leads to destroyed lives. Sin leads to destruction, as we learned a little bit last week. Sin, it never ends well. It never ends well. Notice this in James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, notice when it's finished brings forth death. Nothing good happens with sin. You know what sin ultimately does? Sin ultimately causes, it caused Israel to forget God. And it can cause us to forget God. Notice verse number 13. I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them, and she decked herself with her earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers and forget me, saith the Lord. Speaking of Israel, God is saying, hey, listen, Israel got so enamored with idolatry that Israel literally forgot Jehovah God. One man said it this way, the sinful soul does not merely forsake the Lord. Eventually it forgets him, forgets his love and his place in our life. You ever been out maybe talking with a coworker or I've been out door knocking and somebody will say, oh yeah. Yeah, I used to go to church. Yeah, I used to read my Bible. Yeah, I used to do what you're doing. Yeah, I, I used to love the Lord. You know, it's happened. They got to a place where they just forgot. You take me to somebody who's out of church and been out of church and out of the word of God for a number of years, but knows the Lord as Savior and 
I'll show you somebody who, because of some sin, maybe the sin of just neglect, just taking one step back at a time. Oh, maybe it was nothing major. Maybe it just started with, I'm just not gonna get in the word today. I'm just gonna begin doing it. And pretty soon that person, they forgot how good God is. That's where Israel was. See, because sin, it's always, it's always gonna lead to emptiness and hurt. Old preacher said it this way, sin will take you farther than you wanna go, keep you longer than you wanna stay, and cost you more than you wanna pay. The action message given through the life of Hosea, we see a pleading pleading spouse, the pathetic state, a piercing sword. But once again, in the story, we're gonna read of God's mercy. Even though Israel had stepped in sin and rebellion, God offers grace and mercy. And I like how one man puts the transition into verse number 14 through the end of the chapter. He says this, man's miseries, even when they are deserved and brought on by divine judgment, awaken God's mercies. God extends his mercy to us, not because we deserve it, but because we need it. As you look at all of these tonight, I wanna close by discovering one last thing. And that's what I'm calling a powerful sound. A powerful sound. I love the verse. Here you have the children of Israel. You have Gomer, right? Let's just do Gomer and Hosea. She's living this wretched life, despising the one who's providing for her. She is just going after sin. Israel doing the same thing. Hosea there, representative of God, faithful, forgiving, willing to bring her back in. And notice what he says. Verse 13, or verse 14. Therefore, hey, because of all of this, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. In these verses, we find God in verse 15 down through 23. God says, hey, I'm gonna be merciful to you if you'll just come back to me. There's much in prophecy and such here, but let me just get right to the point that God is always wanting to show mercy and grace to those who come to him, always. He wants to give grace to his children who stray from him. But I want you to notice what's going to bring about the change in Gomer, what will bring about the change in Israel, and what brings about the change in us. And that's in that verse we just read. Behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. You know what Hosea is saying? I am going to win Gomer back by my word. I'm gonna win her back by my words. I'm gonna speak comfortably to her. I'm gonna bring her back by giving her a new healthy relationship, but it's gonna come through my word. The reason I've titled this point The Powerful Sound is because it's the powerful sound of his word. Say, Pastor, what do you mean? When you and I when we step away from God, do you want to know what God sends to bring us back? 
his word. That's the power of God's word. You may be caught in something and maybe, maybe just gone over to a, a sin and you know it's not right. You know maybe not, so not, I'm not supposed to be doing this. I'm not supposed, man, my heart has drifted from God. I'm not loving God the way I should and that's showing up in my life. And then someone comes and gives you a verse or you take your Bible and you read it or you hear a message and God through his word says, hey, come back home. Hey, come back. And he allure, he brings you back. He wins you back through his word. Man, I was reading this and came across this and I was reading different pastors' thoughts on it. I just, I love the thought. I'm gonna, I, I will bring you back into fellowship with me when you listen to my word. You know, I was challenged by with that. As a believer, don't neglect the importance of God's word in your life. Don't neglect it. You say, pastor, you say this often. I'll keep saying it. Man, don't neglect the word of God in your life. His word helps you. His word helps you have faith. His word protects you. His word is his love letter to us that helps us fall in love with him. His word keeps me satisfied. His word helps me understand that I don't need to go and find fulfillment everywhere else because fulfillment comes when I'm walking with God. John chapter 15, that when I abide in him and he in me, boy, that abiding is the, is the, the relationship of dwelling and being comfortable with. Listen, don't miss it that when you and I go through life, we can get to the place where we're just thinking like Israel, I'm good, I've got this. And man, you know what God's gonna do? He's gonna send his word to you, Isaac. He's gonna send his word to you. He's going to send his word to Glenn and say, hey, listen, I still love you. Come back to me. Come back to me. And God, through his word, speaks comfortably to you and I. Isn't it interesting that when we get away from God at times, and it, again, it may be something big or it may just be something small, that God comes in that still small voice coupled with the word of God just speaks comfort into your life. And there might be a time in your life when you know you've just drifted from God, and yet God comes in the still small voice and says, hey, I still love you. I still love you. Listen, I know I, there might be some natural consequences of your sin, but I still love you. Yes, some repercussions might take place, but I still love you. Yes, you may have fallen short. You have, may have chosen sin today, but you don't have to choose it tomorrow. I still love you. I'm still here for you. Man, I, I'm gonna lure her back. I'm gonna speak comfortably to her. Man, what an incredible thought. You go and you notice, uh, we don't have time, but you notice all these things that God says he was gonna do. If you go and read verse 14 through 21, you're gonna notice, a, or 24, you're gonna notice, a, 23, you're gonna notice a bunch of I wills. I will allure, I will give, I will take away, I will make a covenant, I will break the bow, I will make them lie down in safety, I will betroth thee unto me forever, I will hear, I will sow, uh, I will have mercy, I will say to them which are not my people, thou art my people, and they shall say thou art my God. Listen, friend, can I just tell you that this is a wonderful picture of God and his mercy and his grace in the life of every child of God. It's a picture of what we spoke about this morning, grace in action, that when we wander 
from God, God wants to bring our attention back to him and help us see that he is the one that provides. And he wants to help us see that he is faithful even when we are unfaithful. And he is forgiving even when we are unforgivable. God is one who gives even when we just sit and take and take and take. God says, hey, listen, I just want to speak to you and give you my word. Why would God do that? Because it's an unbelievable love. Man, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that God would love me the way he does. But let me just tell you, help us understand that God, he wants to get a picture across to you and to me and to Israel. Hey, sin isn't worth it. It ends in emptiness. It ends in frustration. It ends in pride. It ends in defeat. And though sometimes you step into it, I'm always going to be offering you a different way. I'm always going to be offering you a better way. You think it brings you fulfillment, but you'll soon find out there is no greater joy in life. There is no deeper fulfillment in life. There is no better contentment in life than a life lived hand in hand with Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what the picture, that's what the book of Hosea is about. Hey, believer, you don't need to go down that road because I'm your God. I will fulfill you because I love you. Man, with that thought in mind, I would ask you, what's stopping you from being consumed? What's stopping you from loving him back? We love him, why? Because he first loved us. Man, there's so much here. When I read the story of Hosea, I just think, Hosea, when, I mean, aren't you fed up? Hosea, you put up with Gomer longer? Why does he continually allow her to do it? Just divorce her and get it over with. Just be done with her. And then you have to wonder, why doesn't God done with me? I rebel against God. Sometimes I look for fulfillment in places that I know I'll never find it. I put my family before God or my time or my job or my hobby before God, and yet God keeps loving me, keeps reaching out to me, keeps pursuing me, keeps offering me grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. I just want to remind you tonight that as long as you have breath, God's not done with you. He's not done with you. Now, because God has that much grace and mercy, does that give us an excuse to continue in sin? No. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? But can I tell you that will stop, what will stop you and I, what will stop us from going down the path of sin is when we realize how much we're loved. Oh, it's not, well, I just shouldn't do that. The Bible says I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that. That'll stop you for a little bit of time. 
But pretty soon you're gonna say, who cares? But when you recall an unspeakable, unbelievable love, you say, how could I want to sin? Why would I want to sin? He loves me. And if he loves me, I'm going to do all I can to love him back. I'm going to love him back. And love then becomes the motivator. I want to have every head bowed and every eye closed tonight. And I want to just ask you tonight, I want to ask you to respond to the Lord. Listen, I don't know every heart in here. Maybe in your life there's some sin. Maybe you've gotten away from him and tonight you need to come back and say, God, I'm sorry. I turn back to you. I wanna experience fulfillment in you again. Maybe there's been idolatry, putting something before him. Tonight, will you come and say, Lord, I just wanna get that right. But then maybe you're here tonight and maybe you don't even know Jesus Christ as your savior. There's never been a time in your life where you've put your faith and trust completely in him. Can I tell you that Jesus loves you so much that he died on a cross in your place and he offers you heaven and eternal life and forgiveness if you would simply receive him as your savior. Put your faith and trust in him alone. If God spoke to you tonight, I wanna encourage each one of us to respond. Before I pray, let me ask tonight, is there someone you'd be honest, you'd say, Pastor Dennis, would you pray for me because I don't know if I died today, I'm going to heaven. I don't know that. Would you slip your hand right up and right back down? Pastor Dennis, would you pray for me? I don't know that. I don't know if I died today, I'm going to heaven. Now, for those of you that are here and you do know that, tonight, would you just come and say, God, help me to stay close to your word. Help me not to seek fulfillment in other places. Help me not to put anything before you. And then maybe tonight, you just need to come and say, God, thanks for loving me. Lord, I pray that you bless our invitation. I pray that you'd help us to respond to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.